Tonight we're going to be looking at Exodus 5 and 6, chapters 5 and 6. I want to pray for a few needs. I sent out a prayer request earlier today, see how my recall goes. One thing I did not add to the prayer request, my wife's good friend Cheryl is having uh, surgery tomorrow morning on her shoulder. She fell and tore, tore her rotator cuff and at the same time her husband has went through a very bad long hauler with COVID and tomorrow he's being transferred over to Victory Lakes and so she won't even get to see him before having surgery but that's going on in their family so we're going to pray for Cheryl if I remember. Also I got two emails from members of our church concerning a woman named Jill whose husband died suddenly last week and her dad is in the ICU in Florida so Jill's in this area her dad's not doing well down in Florida and her son trying to get home from Canada is having a hard time you know COVID restriction cancel flights all that stuff that's going on there so lifting up the family of Jill and uh Mike McIntosh, we've been praying for him. He had a quadruple bypass a few weeks ago. He's home, and yet he messaged out yesterday that his wife Sandra, or Sandy, has uh, COVID, so they're at opposite ends of house. He, having heart surgery, doesn't need to get sick at all. So we want to pray for Mike and Sandy. And then... uh, I'm going through my list in my head. Uh, I talked to Jeannie about their, Jeannie and Marvin's son, Keith. He had cancer behind his eye. They had to remove the eye, do some kind of work there to try to kill this cancer. And they implanted something to help do that and then had to take it back out, take the thing out. And he'll go to the doctor next week to see how things have gone. Uh, His retina is still detached, so they haven't reattached that yet. And uh, while all that was going on, big storm last week, blew over a dead tree, crushed their car, and they have to find a new vehicle. So enough going on, add a little more. And one last one that was on the list as I'm going through these in my head, maybe I might remember when I'm going to pray for these, but Uh, We want to keep these and lift them up in prayer. So let's go ahead and do that, and then we'll get into a teaching of God's Word. Father, I just uh, try to keep it in order, but Lord, we lift up Cheryl to you as she bright and early tomorrow morning having shoulder repair surgery. And Lord, I've been through it four times, so I know what she's about to get into. And we pray your grace be upon her. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless Cheryl And her husband, Doug, who has had a difficult time recovering from COVID, been in the long stay in the hospital, and then in another place far away from their house, about 45 minutes away from home, and now getting moved closer. But uh, still, both of Cheryl and Doug having medical issues, so it's hard for them to see one another. We just pray your grace be upon them. We know that family is so important when we are struggling, it is especially important. For Jill, Lord, losing her husband, having her father who is sick and in another state, a son who's trying to get home and having a hard time doing that as of last night. Father, I just pray that you can bring the family together. We pray for healing for the father and pray for comfort for the whole family for all that they're going through. Lift up Jean and Sandy that also this week we learned that they have COVID, though they are faring well. We just pray for their recovery. And Father, we just uh, continue to ask that you would be with our church family, our friends, family, Lord, our nation, struggling so much with all the stuff going on. So we ask, Lord, that you would bring your healing touch to this nation. We thank you, Father, that you are healer and that your son is savior and you have sent him to work in our lives i pray lord that we would find hope in our savior jesus 
at all times, in the hard times and the good times. Pray for those, Lord, who are just suffering with depression and having a difficult time. We pray for your healing to be upon them. Now bless us, Lord, as we look into your word. May it fill our hearts with joy, but also, Lord, help us to learn. Help us to see the account of the children of Israel, of Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh and all that they went through. Lord, bring application to us in the day that we live in as well. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Tonight we're looking at Exodus chapter 5. And Moses has already made his way down to Egypt and they spoke with the children of Israel, got the children of Israel, the leaders excited about God visiting their people and promising to bring them out of Egypt, to bring them into the promised land. They had, this is all they had known. For as we will learn, when they come out of Egypt, 430 years from the day that they entered into the land of Egypt, on the very same day, the Bible tells us that the Lord brought them out. So 430 years generation after generation after generation, all they had known was life in Egypt. And for a few of these generations, and we don't know how many years, they had been put into forced labor, into bondage, and they were building, as we will see tonight, making bricks and building the, uh, we learned already that they were building cities for the Pharaoh and they were forced into labor. But the Lord heard their cry. They were crying out. And that 430 years combines with a prophecy that God gave to Abram saying that your descendants will be in a land for 400 years because the iniquity of the Amorites had not yet come before me. The Amorites are still living in the land of Canaan And God gave them 400 years, a chance of repentance. God's grace is very great. And while the Amorites' iniquity reached that point where God said, okay, judgment is going to come upon the Amorites, he also began to work then in Egypt to bring his people out of Egypt into the promised land as he had promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So as I've been going through the Old Testament from Genesis now into Exodus, I've been kind of looking at some key verses before we get into the study. I chose two for this chapter, Exodus chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And it tells us, so Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your house, He has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. So sometimes I look through and I just, this is the heart of Moses in this chapter. He's trying to figure out why, Lord, why'd you send me down here and stand before the Pharaoh, asked that Pharaoh would release our people and he refuses us and makes the situation even worse than it was for the people, sometimes in this life, we discover that things may not go as we would think. They may not go as we would have planned things to go. But all along, we'll discover that the Lord was working, and he was working to show himself strong in behalf of the children of Israel. It was not going to be easy for Israel But God would see them through. And at the same time, while he's delivering the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, he brings judgment upon Egypt for what they had done to the children of Israel. So we pick up in Exodus chapter 5. I titled this, Building Perseverance. Sometimes the Lord just needs to build us up. And I think that's what he was doing with the children of Israel here. In verses 1 through 3, The question from Pharaoh is, who is the Lord? Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, 
Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. So he asked the question, who is the Lord? Moses comes back and says, the Lord is the God of the Hebrews. Now, of course, Pharaoh would not recognize the God of the Hebrews, although as we get into the 10 plagues that come upon the nation of Egypt, many commentators believe, and we'll connect some of these as we go through them, many commentators believe that God was judging the false gods of Egypt. So the plagues were not only bringing punishment to the Egyptians, but also showing the Egyptians that the God they worshipped, the gods, plural, they worshipped, had no strength over the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God of the Hebrews. So perhaps Moses had hoped that Pharaoh would say, yeah, sure, guys, go ahead, go out to the wilderness. It's only a three-day journey. We can, we can take a break from the brick-making. It'll be no problem. But Moses actually knew better. He was told by the Lord in Exodus 3, 19 through 21, but I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even with a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. So God had already forewarned Moses. Pharaoh's not going to initially let the children of Israel go. God said, I'm sure he will not. And God is sure when he says, I am sure. Therefore, Pharaoh's denial of the Lord's command should not have surprised Moses. And yet it seems that it did. In verses 4 and 5, we pick up, it says, Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So any good boss would say, hey, get back to work. And that's what Pharaoh is saying. Get the people back to work. Because of Moses' and Aaron's intrusion, he was keeping the children of Israel from their labors. And they had developed this forced labor to control the nation of Israel. In Exodus 1, verses 8 through 11, this was their plan. A new king rose up over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Exodus 1, 9, he said to the people, Look, the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened even in the events of war that they join our enemies and fight against us. So go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. So this was the purpose of the labor. They wanted to control the people, so wear them out, so tire them out that they didn't feel like coming against the Egyptians, even though Israel was stronger and mightier. They lacked the weapons, of course, to do battle against the Egyptians. But what they didn't realize, the Egyptians didn't realize, and probably Israel didn't realize at this time as well, all the rigor, all the hard labor strengthened and formed Israel into a strong and formable people. But the question Pharaoh asked, who is the Lord? In Moses and Aaron's initial audience, Moses gave the opportunity by God to introduce to Pharaoh the God of Israel. Well, first of all, Moses said he is the God of Israel. But Pharaoh admitted, he said, who is the Lord? I do not know the Lord. And why should I let the people go? At that time, the Lord was in none of the thoughts of Pharaoh. Psalm 10, 4, 
The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. This was the condition of Pharaoh, a nation that worshiped many gods, but the true God who created the heavens and the earth was in none of Pharaoh's thoughts. Now, it's hard for me personally to imagine life without God. God has been part of my life from the get-go, and that is true for everyone, but so many in our world today, they do not recognize God. They do not think of God. God is in none of their thoughts. My mom came to faith in Christ and at the age of 16, and then I have three older sisters, and somewhere when my three older sisters after they were born, mom began going to church. So though she came to faith at a, as a teenager at a revival meeting, really didn't start going to church until she had three girls of her own and began going to church. But my dad didn't go with her at first. But after I came along, dad was already attending church, came to faith when I was two months old, as I've shared here in this pulpit a number of times. And so... I've always had this awareness of God, especially when I was seven years old, came to faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, I forget that much of the world sometimes rarely or never thinks about Jesus. God is in none of their thoughts. Knowing this truth, it really explains a lot when you look around our world and you see the condition of our world today. Just know that God is in none of their thoughts, like the Pharaoh. Who's the Lord and why should I let the children of Israel go out and worship him? A few years ago, still going on in many areas in our world and some areas in our country still struggling, but there are politicians that basically have the same attitude with the church today. Who is the Lord and why should you guys attend church? You know, it's dangerous for you guys to gather together. But it makes sense when there's people in our government that have no knowledge of God. It explains a lot regarding the condition of our world today. We'll get back to that in a moment. But let's go on in our text, chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather the straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it. And let them not regard false words. So initially things got worse for Israel as Pharaoh increased their labor by making them gather the straw that they put in the brick kind of as a, a strengthening, a binder as a strengthening, not to fill, but kind of like putting fiberglass in there to make it stronger Today we would use fiberglass. I don't think they use fiberglass in brick today. We bake, burn our bricks to make them strong. But they sun-baked their bricks back then. And when I was in Africa and South Sudan, I saw, I, driving by one of the fields, I saw people doing the very same thing. They make their bricks, they dig up the clay, they sun-bake them, and they have their product. And I saw them producing it just like they would have maybe minus the straw. But it appears that they had straw provided for them. Now they were forced to go get the straw to produce that quota and the same quota, but they were unable to do so. They were unable to do so. Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters to beat Israel's leaders. So their government Actually, through the forced labor, they limited their ability to worship. That's what they said. They are idle. They got too much time on their hand, saying, let's go sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid upon the men that they may labor in it. 
and let them not regard false words. To them, to Pharaoh, the worship of the Lord God who created the heavens and the earth, that was false words. They had no need of that. And so he was shutting down their worship through forced labor. As I was thinking of that thought uh, right before lunch, and then I wrote a note when I had lunch, came back and pulled out some statistics. I asked the question, the note that I wrote, what has been the impact of closing our churches in our country? And, and this is uh, an overall survey. It comes out by Gallup, the Pew Research, Lifeway Research, a uh, combination of uh, three different research groups talking about the church and not just because of COVID, although we know that that's had a great impact. But here's some statistics that came out last summer. Gallup reports that in 2020, 40% of Americans said religion was important in their lives. Well, you think, well, that's not bad. 40% of America in the year 2000, it was 59% that said religion was important. Lifeway Research reports that 70% of churches are getting smaller or are plateauing. Pew Research reports that the number of religious nuns has increased by 30 million since 2009. The nuns, they are called, they do not believe in any God. We're just nuns. We have no faith, no religion. Pew Research Center reports that 65% of Americans identify as Christians. And again, we think, well, that's 65%. That's pretty good. Well, just a decade ago, it was 77%. So we're dropping more. Lifeway Research indicates that Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant Christian denomination in America, lost nearly 300,000 members between 2018 and 2019. And so from Gallup to Pew Research to Lifeway, they all paint the same picture of Christianity in America, that it is becoming less, our nation is becoming less Christian. And then I was thinking of this, and this came out in December 2021, a conservative writer, Star Parker, title of the article was more government less religion she had this statement in the article she says as americans allow themselves to be convinced that government is the answer to their lives they become more likely to abandon faith and religion which provide the light and principles for individuals to take control of their own lives as americans allow themselves to be convinced that the government has all the answers then they begin to abandon faith and religion. So Pharaoh was trying to make this happen in the children of Israel, get them distracted, get their minds off of who is the Lord, who is God. And so again, no straw, same quote of verses 10 through 13. He kind of now just, he already told us what they were going to do. Now they enact it. The taskmasters of the people and their officers went out, spoke to the people saying, thus says Pharaoh, we will not give you straw. Go get yourself straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry saying, fulfill your work, your daily quota as when there was straw. We again just reminded me of uh, being in South Sudan. It was several years ago in 2009, but we were up on uh, Mount Gordon. Mount Gordon was a British major in the British military. He had uh, jurisdiction over that region back in the late 1800s. Charlton Heston did a movie called Khartoum that portrayed the life of Major Gordon and how he was actually killed in Khartoum, but he fought against slavery back in the late 1800s. And uh, we went up to Mount Gordon, which is, my direction is right north of Nimli, where we were staying. Nimli was uh, dirt roads. I think they have an asphalt road there now, but when we were there, it was dirt roads. The compound we stayed on, there was no electricity. We were there on a construction trip, 
And uh, they did have a generator on the compound. They only turned that generator on for an hour or two each night to charge things up. A lot of stuff used off batteries and such, but very limited in technology. And in South Sudan, you would see, though all the guys seem to have cell phones, they had to go into some charging center to charge their cell phones. So it was pretty different than what we are used to. But the ladies, they did, besides cooking, they gathered wood and they got water. And the gathering of wood and the getting of water occupied much of their day. In fact, the Sudanese men plainly said that men don't carry water. I guess if they don't have a woman, they do. But that is their custom there. The point I was making while we were traveling up to Mount Gordon, we saw two ladies way up that mountain gathering wood, and they would gather long sticks, twigs, put them in a bundle, carry them on their back, but they were far away from town. And we asked about that, and they said, well, because the need of wood, they didn't, it wasn't a woody area. And so as they gathered, and this would be the same thing for uh, Israel trying to get straw, you know, initially you gather everything that's near, but once you consume all that, you have to keep getting further and further and further. When we saw these two women, they were miles away from Nimli where they lived. But that's because they had consumed all the wood in that area. And I, I would assume that this was a similar issue as they made these brick using the straw to strengthen the sun-dried bricks that they were using in ancient Egypt at that time. One of the commentators years ago said that they discovered an area where the bricks had garbage, stubble, dirt, trying to, he was assuming, that they found the time when Israel was making bricks without the provided straw that it connected to this story. I can't confirm that, but it is interesting. So 14 through 19, we continue on. So the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not fulfilled your task in making bricks, both yesterday and today and as before? And the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, why are you dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, make bricks. And indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. And he said, you are idle, idle. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore, now go and work, for no straw shall be given to you. Yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. So the leaders of Israel went to Pharaoh. They gained an audience and said, you have given us an impossible command. But Pharaoh believed after the pressing of the Egyptian whips, Israel would forsake Moses and Aaron and their desire to worship God. After their meeting with Pharaoh, they knew they were in trouble. They were being oppressed more and more. Ecclesiastes 5.8, Solomon would write, If you see the oppression of the poor, the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in the a providence, do not marvel at the matter, for high official watches over high official, higher officials over them, that you can always trace it back, the oppression of the poor, perversion of justice and righteousness, high official watches over a high official, and even over them is someone higher, that the corruption is in the government itself when the poor are being oppressed. So why are we in trouble? They would ask, verses 20 through 23, we finish out this chapter. They came out from Pharaoh, and the elders of the children of Israel met with Moses and Aaron and stood there to meet them. His plan nearly worked. 
the leaders came to Moses and Aaron saying, verse 21, let the Lord look to you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. But Moses did a wise thing. After hearing the leaders in Israel complain, it tells us Moses returned to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord. And sometimes things don't go as we would plan. And it's always wise to cry out to the Lord. When trouble is upon us, don't try to make excuses. Don't try to uh, maybe perhaps deal with the situation until you've prayed. Oftentimes we try to deal with things before we pray and we just make matters worse. But Moses here, he's doing a little complaining himself. He says, Lord, verse 22, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. So Moses is wondering, God, what are you up to? Now we'll find some of that answer in chapter 6. But may I suggest a few things that might help us today. First, God was getting the taste of Egypt out of Israel's, we would say the taste of Egypt out of Israel's mouth. This was all they'd known. It was all they were accustomed to. But now they were abhorrent to the children of Israel. Egypt, and they knew that they were not wanted there. One would think that their bondage would have been enough reason for Israel to want to leave Egypt. Yet if we take this to a spiritual level, we discover that there are a lot of Christians who are very comfortable living in the fallen condition of this world. Rather, staying in Egypt. In the Bible, Egypt is always seen as the world. It's a type of the world. When we speak about Egypt, we speak about a type of the world. And they had grown comfortable living in Egypt. Second, God allowed Israel to go through this great labor. I've already mentioned this because he was taking a group of slaves, forming them into a nation and preparing them for future battles. They needed the rigor, the hard labor to prepare them for the difficulties that would come upon their nation. Finally, God used Pharaoh's hardness of heart to reveal to Israel and to Egypt that there is no God like the God of Israel who rules over the heavens and the earth. In James verses 2 and 3 of chapter 1, James said, My brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The testing of our faith produces patience. The New American Standard says it produces endurance. The Revised Standard Version says it produces steadfastness. The NIV, perseverance. So may the Lord get the desire of Egypt, the world out of our hearts, that he might give us the patience, the endurance, the steadfastness, the perseverance to live for him in the day that we find ourselves in. In chapter 6, Moses wondering in chapter 5, Lord, what are you up to? God introduces himself to Moses, to the children of Israel, in a different way than he had to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I picked two verses as key verses, verses 2 and 3, which says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But my name, Yahweh, Lord, I was not known to them. So here, God takes the children of Israel to a more intimate level of communion with God himself. God revealed to Israel, to Moses, a new name that they had not known of the Lord before. This is YHWH, Yahweh. We get Jehovah from this. 
He said, I am the Lord. And he would say this as we go through this chapter four times. He keeps reminding them, I am the Lord. In verses one through four, then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. So in chapter five, I said, Moses was wondering, God, what are you up to? God responds, chapter six, verse one, now you're going to see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of the land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. That's El Shaddai. But I, by my name, Yahweh, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them and give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. So God let Moses know that Pharaoh will not only let the children of Israel go, that Pharaoh himself will drive them out of the land. Pharaoh will let them go. Pharaoh will drive them out of the land. I was wondering about this name, and it it just caused me a little more head scratching, but I looked up the complete Jewish Bible. I wanted to see from a Jewish perspective, I am the Lord, if there's any difference in this. And so reading from the complete Jewish Bible, Exodus 6, 1, Adonai said to Moshe, now you will see what I am going to do to Pharaoh. And with a mighty hand, he will send them off. With force, he will drive them from the land. So Adonai said to Moshe, Adonai, the Lord, except made me scratch my head a little bit because we look at the Hebrew language and it was not Adonai that was being used here. It was the YHWH. So he's sharing a new name with them. By the time God finished with Egypt, the Egyptians will beg Pharaoh to let Israel go. In Exodus 12:31 through 33, we'll get a little preview of this that Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Arise, go out from among my people that you and your children of Israel go and serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks, your herds, as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, We shall all be dead. So by the time God finishes with the nation of Egypt, Egypt couldn't get Israel out of their land fast enough, as we will see as we continue in our study. So the YHWH, God appeared to the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he revealed himself to them as El Shaddai, God Almighty. He did not reveal himself to them as Yahweh. In Genesis 17:1. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am almighty God. I am God almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. We also discover that God revealed to Moses his name, YHWH. It is uh, that which we translate, as I said, Jehovah, Yahweh. We're familiar with that but we're not quite sure how it should be pronounced because the Jews so revered the name of God that they never inserted vowel sounds. So all we have is the consonants of Y-H-W-H. And so we don't quite know how it should be pronounced, but it is a name that is believed to mean to be or to become or to exist. G. Campbell Morgan said, the name reveals the fact that of God's ability to become to his people whatever the need demands. The YHWH reminds Moses of his covenant with the patriarchs and their descendants. God had promised Abraham in Genesis 17, 7 and 8, I will establish my covenant between me and your descendants after you for an everlasting covenant to be God 
to you and to your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession. I will be their God. So he's reminding Moses, I am the Lord. I am El Shaddai. When I appeared before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they only knew me as El Shaddai. But God said to Moses, I am Yahweh. In verses 5 through 8, And I have heard the groaning of the children of Israel, God speaking. I have heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage and have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. I will bring you up from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great judgments. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you up into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. The third time the Lord used that phrase. I am Yahweh. God reveals his plan to Moses to rescue and redeem the children of Israel. He said, I'm going to do that with an outstretched arm, with great judgments. And we find that God's judgments against Egypt they initially had two effects. First, it caused the children of Israel to come out of Egypt with a reverential fear, a love for the Lord himself. God did rescue, God did redeem the children of Israel, knowing that the Lord had fought for them and redeemed them with the outstretched arm or with his strength. Second, these judgments against Egypt would cause the Egyptians to fear and to dread the Lord. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord and why should I listen to him? And God said, I'll show you who I am. And they would fear and dread the Lord, but it would have a further effect. Some 40 years later, when the children of Israel would begin to go into the promised land, and when the two spies went into Jericho and Rahab hid the spies on her rooftop, she shared, asking that her and her family would be remembered, she shared with the two spies of Israel, saying, and this is 40 years later, in Joshua 2, verses 8 through 10, Now before they lay down, she came up on the roof and said to the men, I know the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen upon us that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. We've heard of you guys. They heard the work of the Lord. So once again, Yahweh reminds his people that he had heard their groanings, remembered his covenant. Therefore, he promised to rescue and to redeem them to bring them into the promised land, to make them his own special people. That reminded me of 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10, where Peter reminds us that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. It is God who brings us into the, his family through the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from our sin. So Moses speaks to the children of Israel, verses 9 through 13, but they did not heed Moses' voice because of the anguish of spirit and the cruel bondage. So initially, Moses went to the people, told the children of Israel that God said, I am Yahweh. And the people did not heed Moses. Because of the bondage, because of the anguish of spirit and the cruel bondage. 
So the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 10, saying, verse 11, Go in, tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? If, the, if your own people aren't going to listen, how am I, do I expect that someone that doesn't even believe in you will listen? And then he added, for I am of uncircumcised lips. Verse 13, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So the command that God gave Moses and Aaron was for both the children of Israel and for Pharaoh. As Moses complained that the children of Israel aren't listening, neither is Pharaoh. But he said to the Lord, I am of uncircumcised lips. It shows us the unworthiness that Moses felt as he served the Lord. It reminded me, uh, the only other place that I could think of in Scripture, maybe you'll think of some other place, but Isaiah and his call to ministry in Isaiah 6, verses 5 through 7, when he saw the Lord, Isaiah cried out, Woe to me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. A live coal, so an amber burning coal from the altar. He touched my mouth with it. Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, your sin is purged. So Isaiah, many years later, would also use this same or similar of unclean lips. Moses saying, I'm of uncircumcised lips. And these unclean lips, ethically, religiously, it speaks about the defilement, the sin. And yet this is how we stand before the Lord. In Romans 3.23, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For Isaiah, one touch from the coal that was taken from the altar took away his iniquity and sin. Today, one touch of Christ does that for us as well. Hebrews 9.22 tells us, According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. But 1 John 1.7 tells us that it is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. Moses was of unclean lips, as are we, but it's the Lord who purifies us. God had promised in Exodus 4.12, saying to Moses, I will be with your mouth. I will teach you what to say. But Moses struggled with that even before he went down to Egypt. But God did not even consider Moses' complaint. Yahweh told Moses and Aaron to command both the children of Israel and Pharaoh, saying, bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Sometimes we just need to do what the Lord has called us to do. God did not, Yahweh did not say to Moses, uh, that's okay, Moses, maybe 400 years, it wasn't long enough. Maybe we'll give it another try in another 400 years. God said, no, go, tell the children of Israel, tell Pharaoh. Verses 14 through 19 he kind of uh, gives us a little family history here. So he kind of breaks the writing, the account of the Exodus, talking about the heads of their father's houses. He gives three, the sons of Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. And we begin reading, and here we have some names again. They're always a challenge for me. These are the heads of their father's houses. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, were Hanok, Paulu, Hazar, and Carmi. These are the family of Reuben. And the sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamni, Ohad, 
Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, and the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the families of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi. So we have basically, these were the first three sons born to Jacob through Leah, his wife Leah. And so we get to Levi. It seems like that's what we were trying to get to here. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations, Gershon, Koath, and Merai. And the years of the life of Levi were 137. The sons of Gershon were Libni and Shimmi, or Shimai, according to their families. And the sons of Koath were Amram, Ishar, Horeb, Hebron, and Uzael. And the years of the life of Koath were 133s. And the sons of Merai were Mali and Mushi. These were the family of Levi according to their generations. And so listing out Jacob and Leah's first three sons, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. But really concentrating now verses 20 through 25, the house of Levi. Now Amram took for himself Jochebed, his father's sister, as wife, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were 137 and the sons of Ishar were Korah, Nepheg, and Zachari. And the sons of Uazel were Mishael, Elsaphan, and Zithar, or Zithri. And Aaron took for himself Elizabeth, the daughter of Amenadab, sister of Nashon, as wife. And she bore him Nahab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And the sons of Korah were Aser and Elkanah and Abasath. And these are the families of the Korhites. Eleazar, Abraham's son, took for himself one of the daughters of Putiel, the wife, and bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers of the house of Levi, according to their families. So we're basically getting down to Moses and Aaron. And we know that Aaron's descendants would become part of the priestly line. And so we are given the names of Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, and Phinehas. Phinehas, though a grandson, would play an important role, as with Eleazar and Ithamar. Nadab and Abihu, they will play a different role. But we're being introduced to the family here, and they'll all have significant parts of the accounts of the Exodus. 26 through 30, these are the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their armies. These are the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are the same Moses and Aaron. I don't know if they had a several Moses and Aaron's running around at that time, but he's really emphasizing this. These are the same Moses and Aaron. And it came to pass on the day that the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. That's the fourth time that God said, I am Yahweh. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh heed me? So the passage closes really with a reiteration of the roles of Moses and Aaron and also their call by God to speak to Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go. And although God had commanded Moses and Aaron to speak to Pharaoh, Moses argued saying, I'm of uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh heed me? It tells us that doubt can plague even the greatest leaders. And yet in this passage, in this chapter, four times, God reminds Moses, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. And these often repeated phrases by the Lord confirmed God's desire to have a new type of relationship with the children of Israel that he had not had with Abraham, Isaac, 
and Jacob. They only knew the Lord as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But to Israel, God said, I am Yahweh. And what a wonderful God we serve, who is able to meet our every need, who has met our every need through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and stand. Here on Wednesday nights, it's been a while, but I've been going through the ABCs of salvation. I have time, so I'll do it tonight. And the A, for those maybe listening on the radio or through social media, or maybe you're going to watch or hear this at a later time, but the A stands for admit. We need to admit to God that we are sinners and ask for his forgiveness. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to admit to God that we are sinners. The B stands for believe. We need to believe in the work that Jesus did upon the cross. His death, burial, resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father. And we have to receive that gift of salvation. Romans 5.8 tells us, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have to believe in the work that Jesus did upon the cross. And the C, it stands for confess. To confess our faith in Jesus Christ, but also to share that faith with others, to confess it before others. Paul reminds us in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And Romans 10:13, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The ABCs of salvation. We have to admit to God that we are sinners. We need to believe in the work of Jesus Christ that work that he did upon the cross, and we have to confess our sins before God. Well, if you need prayer tonight, I'm here and available for you. If you're listening on radio tonight through social media, please email us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. If you'd like to support our ministry, I'll just direct you to our webpage at cclv.org. And you can find out information about our church there at CCLV. I was running out of air there. Find out information about the church at cclv.org. This coming Sunday, we got Pastor Mark Drennenberg coming to share a message that he entitled, When the Trials Are Over, from Job 19, verses 25 through 26. So Pastor Mark uh, just published a, a new book on prayer in December. And he's coming to share God's word with us this coming Sunday. Looking at Job chapter 19. Uh, these are two wonderful verses. If you're not familiar with them, just look them up. Job 19, 25 and 26. And maybe you will, oh yeah, I know that verse. Two wonderful verses. Mark is going to expound upon them for us this coming Sunday. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for being with us tonight as we've gathered to worship, to look into your word. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to gain a greater knowledge of who you are. Tonight in Exodus chapter 6, 5 and 6, Moses is doubting, struggling. But Lord, you introduced yourself to Moses, to Israel in a fresh new way, saying, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord. Father, I pray that for us, Lord, who are going through so many different things in our world, times are really crazy right now. Lord, I pray that your spirit would touch us in a fresh and new way as well. Not any way that goes against your word, anything that's been given to us in the word. But Lord, I'm just asking that you would just make yourself real to us in a fresh way. Give us courage, Lord, in the days that we find ourselves in. 
Again, Lord, we ask that you would be with those who are sick and suffering. I pray, Father, that you would be with your church throughout all the world. Help us, Lord, to stand strong in our faith. And, Father, we pray that you would send revival upon this land. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace.